So everyone knows, you know, we, we've got elections coming up, midterms. And interestingly enough, Michael was saying it feels like it's the most divisive time as far as um, what, what you said, right? You felt like it feels like the most divisive time with regard to political climate in his lifetime. So I felt the same way. And I'm not. <laughs> anyway. And so I was thinking, I don't want to go on my feelings. So I did research. The Pew Research um, Center in 2017 came out with a study that they've been doing and research since 1994. So since 1994, a measurable way of looking at the political climate, when you take Democrats and Republicans and they, they ask a question and here's what the Democrats you know, view with these multiple choices and here's what the Republicans view or vice versa, and the gap has widened increasingly over every election period. And so it is not just a feeling, it's, it's obvious. From an article from last year from the Pew Research Center, they said the divisions between Republicans and Democrats on fundamental political values, that is on government, race, immigration, national security, environmental protection, and other areas, reached record levels during Barack Obama's presidency. In Donald Trump's first year as president, these gaps have grown even larger. I don't think that's news to us, right? Here's the thing, and the reason for the sermon today, uh, Janice Kud posted something on Facebook, basically like, come on, guys, let's get along. Um, and Shane Scott, in the midst of his beloved bride's passing away, made even mention this week about the political climate and the divisiveness that exists. And I remember back in 2012, prior to the elections, it was really bad on Facebook. It sickened me personally. Not so much that things were, were aired on Facebook because I expect it from people in the world. It sickened me because a lot of these were my brothers and sisters in Christ. So we had the sermon. And this year, I'm actually out of the loop. I am now an official lurker on Facebook. I, I don't do much posting. I am there from time to time. I read and, and I skip on when and I see anything. I don't care who it is. Once in a few weeks, I might like something, and then I might like a number of people's posts. Um, but by and large, I'll just skip and just skim through what's going on because this is what it is. This is what goes on, and it is, it's stomach-churning for me personally. And um, this division continues to exist. And fortunately, I've not seen it among brethren so much, but it is all over the news. And so here's the thing. As I mentioned just a few seconds ago, what took place from back in 2012, I expect it from people in the world. You know, you're going to do the things of the world. But if we are children of God, if we are Christians... And we say we love God and we want to be conformed into his image, Romans 8, verse 29, right? If we want to be conformed into his image, then what does that look like? 
Because we are taught throughout the scriptures that we are pilgrims. We are taught that this earth is not our home. We're just passing through. We sing these hymnals. And if we sing it with conviction, then what does that translate into in our daily walk? And that's the thing. If we are lovers of our God, we'll do well to bear his name to a lost world. I think that's the message that Michael had for us this morning, in particular of the Lord's Supper, that we have this unity and that we, we come to the table. But that unity, as Michael would even add, I'm speaking on his behalf because I know he'll agree to this, is it doesn't limit ourselves right here, right, to the table. We're in Christ. And our unity is supposed to be in Christ. And while we may have political views that differ within this congregation, let alone in this country they're just that they're political views but for whatever reason we need to ride those high horses down to the cliff if you will with our views and that everyone else just needs to hop on board with the right view as if our soul depends on it and in some cases it feels like that but therein lies this thing what's the difference between Christians and the people of the world and there should be a huge difference if we're looking at this whole concept of politics, it really boils down to, in essence, do I like my leaders, right? We have the freedom in our country to vote. What a great, blessed opportunity that we have that freedom. And we should exercise that freedom. And guess what? We have brothers and sisters in Christ with this freedom choosing not to vote. And guess what? It's okay, brethren. Don't have a conniption if they don't vote. You know, some people say, well, but we have men and women who have bled and died for that freedom. Amen. I'm grateful for that. But it's not a salvation issue and therefore not one that we should, you know, if they've taken the time to pray about it and saying, I choose not to vote, they choose not to vote. And if they say, I've prayed about it and I choose to vote this way or if I choose to vote that way, they've prayed about it before God. Don't undermine their convictions in service to God. That's the whole point of Romans 14, in that many would say, well, what you're thinking is wrong. You're supposed to think this way to be right with God, and it's a whole problem. Many will go that far with opinions as to make it equal with the word of God. And so when it comes to our leaders, if we don't like our leaders, imagine what it was like to be a Christian in the first century where the Roman government, let alone many of the Jewish leaders hated Christians think about that hated Christians and what does Paul say in the midst of such major hatred treat them with respect I want you to open up your Bibles to Acts 23 and I want you to read that this was not just Paul's teaching this is the, actually the way he lived his life and it's not limited to New Testament scriptures you can actually go back to the Old Testament scriptures and have this very concept of how God's people would have respect for the leaders of the land of which they were subordinate to so Acts chapter 23 in the first few verses read with me Paul is on trial before the Sanhedrin right so Paul, looking earnestly at the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. It is at that very moment when he says that, that people don't like what they're hearing, right? These leaders, religious leaders, 
who are judging him, saying, basically, I command you, those who stood by the Apostle Paul, to strike him on the mouth. And so he got struck on the mouth for what he had to say. Like, shame on you for saying what you did, you liar. Paul says to the one who struck him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. I mean, he was heated up. He had no fear of being in front of that council because what he had to say was a very convicting message. But here's what happens. He says to them, you sit to judge me according to the law, and do you command me to be struck contrary to the law? Those who stood by said, do you revile God's high priest? Think about it. At this time, Paul doesn't know that the high priest had commanded that. Paul did not know he was present. He did not know who he was. And so Paul apologizes. He doesn't say, listen, you still did wrong. You didn't do the law. He apologizes. Notice what he says. Paul says, verse 5, I did not know, brethren, that he was the high priest, for it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Case closed. What he said was true, but he should not have said it. He should have paid respect to his leaders. And for whatever the reason is, I don't know if it's because of our social media culture that we live in today but we just take it upon ourselves to say you know what we take acts 5 verse 29 right i shall obey god rather than man to such a level that we can be disrespectful to our leaders and that's just not true that's wrong it's no different than when a child says to mom and dad i disagree with you and does so with disrespect they can disagree, but do it with respect, right? Honor your father and mother. Scripture teaches that. We want our children to do that. But what do we do as adults? Do we practice disrespect and say, well, I'm justified because they're doing wrong in my opinion? And so the Apostle Paul lived. He encouraged others to do the same. And that's why we had that reading in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. I want to reread that. And I want us to slow down and digest these words, not because we haven't already read them many, many times, but because it's a good reminder. So read 1 Timothy chapter 2 with me one more time. And here's Paul telling Timothy to tell Christians to do this. In 1 Timothy, well, get over there. 1 Timothy 2. I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions and giving of thanks be made for all men for kings as well and all who are in authority for this purpose that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence imagine being disrespectful to our leaders whoever they may be locally regionally federally and we come across justified in our own hearts in our own minds saying well what you're doing is wrong and sinful and so on and so forth so therefore i can be disrespectful that's not going to help the cause of christ if our goal is to reach the lost how do we do it by the rules of the lost by the warfare and the wages of the lost 
Or is our work, is our labor heavenly? Is it godlike? Does it look like the very one that was long-suffering toward us and patient with us and teaching us to be respectful to our leaders? And so very clear the Apostle Paul did that. It is not acceptable. And the question is, when has it become unacceptable? Because it seems so rampant over the last so many years. Again, I don't know what's been going on on Facebook as far as political environments among brethren. Six years ago was not good at all. Hopefully it's better. But this is just a reminder for us that are here this morning because naturally our goal is our walk in this room. Whether you are visiting with us or you are brother and sister in Christ worshiping regularly here, this is for you and I to heed. Not for us to point fingers at someone else to heed. And so... What we need to do is check our heart, right? Through our speech, because naturally this behooves our behavior right here, but we're told in James 3, control our speech, right? If any man is perfect, is able to bridle his tongue. Well, if we like to think of ourselves as mature Christians, watch what we say. We will betray our reputation if we call ourselves mature in Christ, but we speak so ill of our leaders. Think about that. That's not very mature. Paul tells Titus, speak evil of no one. That includes our leaders. We can talk issues. We can even disagree upon issues. And we can do so even with our leaders. But do so with respect. Do so with the care for that person's soul. And then we're told in 1 Peter 2, verse 1, lay aside all evil speaking, and that also includes speaking evil of our leaders. Many of us, you know, when, when we have the person in office that we like, we want everyone to be respectful of them. But what happens when, it's, when the shoe's on the other foot? And we have someone in office that we don't want. Is it now acceptable to speak evil of that leader because of the way he or she behaves or speaks? Think about that. Check your hearts. And finally, this is where I think Michael was headed in the last point. <laughs> right in line. Think about the fact that in Christ, we're all one, right? Every one of us, in Christ. That's the whole point that Michael was making, some of which might be uncomfortable to hear, some of the points that he was making. But in Christ, we're all one. I guarantee you not a single one of us in this room is going to go in because we had perfect understanding and perfect deliverance, perfect actions in our walk with God. Not a one of us in this room, let alone in the world. Not one. We are going to need the grace of God for that thing that we do not understand. Or that practice that we have done in the way that for whatever the reason we don't know, beyond what God has explicitly revealed that is, that we may have done in a manner that maybe not up to par. But we're trying, if we are in fact trying, that is. We're going to need that grace. And so we're all one in Christ Jesus. There's not one of us that can say, well, I'm doing it better than so-and-so, so therefore I'm good to go. Right? There's not a threshold of percentage of faithfulness. And so what we have is this concept. 
In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 through 18, and this will be the last passage we look at, is this one in Christ. And I want us to turn to that text. It's a beautiful, beautiful passage with brethren who are taught. And in the most divisive environment, probably even more so in my opinion than even today. Ephesians chapter 2 says over here, beginning in verse 13, that now in Christ Jesus, you Gentiles, once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one, and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. And that he might reconcile them both to God in one body, through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and to those who were near. That is, to both Gentiles who were far off and to Jews who were near. For through him, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. I think that's the point Michael was making. Male, female, rich, poor, whatever the category of dichotomy there is. We're one in Christ. And so we need to look at these things as, well, they may be important to us, and we might even be on the campaign trail advocating a particular um, person for office. But just recognize on the scale of life where that sits. It is, it may feel like life and death, but it's not. Think about what you're doing think about what you're upholding Janice I don't know exactly where you're sitting right now but I thank you for what you said I appreciated your words and I hope all of us will feel the same way it's for our benefit and for the benefit of those that we're trying to say reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ that they may be saved that's the lesson I hope that you'll think through what Michael had said and the words that we just have if you're here I want you to know that the invitation is found in Jesus Christ you're not going to be saved by your political views you'll be saved by the blood of Jesus and what you are bound to is not through your political views what you be bound to is Jesus Christ himself and I hope that when you read his words and the words of his followers the apostles and other new testament writers that you can see how they lived and how they behaved what they were commended for what they taught in light of these political dissonances that take place then and today so that invitation is for you brethren for those of you who would like to become one in the kingdom of our lord we invite you we invite you to come to have your sins washed away that's what he was talking about in ephesians chapter 2 when he made two into one that's the unity that we'll have in jesus christ and that invitation is for you if you believe jesus to be the christ who died for your sins we want you to change we want you to turn away from that lifestyle and turn to him and live his way be pleasing to god that's your invitation as well why don't you come forward it's together we stand and sing